Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to Season 1, Episode 3 of the official NHSSEA podcast, the podcast for high school strength coaches by high school strength coaches. I am your host, Andrew McGacky. Once again, guys, just as the NHSSEA is a member-driven organization, this is a members-driven podcast. If there's anything that you want to hear, whether it be certain guests or specific content that you are looking for, please reach out and let me know. You can reach out to me on Twitter, at Coach McGacky, or at email at coachmagacki at outlook.com. And also, please leave a rating and a review to let me know how I'm doing. My guest this month is Coach Zach Evanesh. Coach Evanesh is the New Jersey State Director for the NHSSEA. He owns his own private gym facility, the Underground Strength Gym. He is also the strength coach at Middleton High School South in Middleton, New Jersey. We cover many things this episode, going over his early days, training people out of his parents' garage, to what, how that turned into coaching at the Division One level, to now his current role at the high school level, comparing and contrasting collegiate coaching versus high school coaching, the pros and cons to both. We talk about his view on GPP and hard work and all those things that he is kind of well known for. And then we discuss his newest book that just came out, Iron Journeys. Guys, I just finished reading this book a couple days ago. It's a fantastic read full of motivation and great lessons in there from Zach's personal life. I highly recommend it. The link to purchase the book on Amazon will be in the show notes, as well as a link to his site's uh, where you can find his other products and then obviously to his social medias as well. We have two wonderful sponsors for this episode. First is Kabuki Strength. Kabuki Strength is an extraordinary company with an unconventional journey, and we are eager to share our story with you. Our pursuit of our mission revolves around four distinct pillars. One, equipment. We envision, engineer, and manufacture innovative strength equipment that pushes the boundaries of performance, health, and strength. Two, education. Through research-based movement and strength education, we cater to a diverse range of individuals, from novices to professional athletes. Three, coaching. We provide world-class coaching services to strength athletes worldwide, both remotely and in person at our state-of-the-art facility, The Lab. Four, charity. Giving back to the community and assisting others in need is an integral part of our identity. Kabuki's story embodies perseverance, community, strength, vision, and above all, our unwavering mission. At Kabuki Strength, we transcend the ordinary, striving to leave an indelible mark on the world. Stray Dog Strength. Since 1998, Stray Dog Strength has been a pioneer of strength and conditioning equipment. As a family-owned business, we pride ourselves on listening to coaches, athletes, and administrators to make our designs the most efficient modular system in the industry. Our products are built to last for generations. From design to installation, we are here to support customers every step of the way and help athletes leave the pack. Thank you and enjoy the episode. guys we are live episode three of the nhssa podcast podcast for high school strength coaches by high school strength coaches i am your host Andrew mcgacky and i am joined by the wonderful the famous zach evanesh coach how are you hey i'm great thank you for having me on you know i love the nhsca and uh yeah super honored i'm you know number three i'm impressed <laughs> impressed to be in the somewhere in the first 50 <laughs> coach you're a gym owner you're a high school strength coach you've coached at the collegiate level you know private sector you're a podcast host like myself one of my favorite podcasts the strong life podcast (laughs) i i have listened i will say at least 85 percent of the episodes i've I've, oh wow i've I've got a few on on cue that i need to go back to but i (laughs) huge fan of your podcast uh, and as well as author which we will touch on in a little bit and you are the new jersey state director for the nhs sca 
Yes. Yeah. A lot, lot of hats. A lot of hats. <laughs> yeah. What's you know that uh, I always say like that song. I got ninety nine problems, but a job ain't one. <laughs> well, oh, coach, let's dive in. How did you get into strength and conditioning into the role that you're at today, go back as far as you want. And just, yeah, let's just talk about real quickly how you got into the field and, you know, how you got where you're at today. Yeah. I started coaching in uh, late 1995. First job was at a hospital fitness center. Uh, but before that I had been coaching wrestling. So coaching was already uh, in my blood and uh, my upbringing in bodybuilding in the late eighties, early nineties, because Strength and conditioning knowledge was just hard to come by back then. <clears throat> so I used to train my friends. I used to train, you know, high school classmates and just live in the gym and take them through workouts. So I was used to like writing training programs on paper instead of writing my English paper. I'm writing a baseball, you know, 12 week program for a kid. And um, when I got into the field of strength and conditioning was after I tore my ACL. That's when I really was like, I'm going to wage war on this like wrong training that I've been doing for so long as a wrestler and an athlete getting hurt so much. And uh, that's where, you know, I fast forward and started coming across quality information in the infancy of the internet. And I always say I got lucky because I couldn't really get, well, I'm sure you could have gotten confused in the early 2000s, but there just wasn't the overabundance of information. And, uh, you know, by chance, after I tore my ACL, you know, I wanted to study what the Russian wrestlers were doing. So I started, um, I don't even think Google was around. I was using Yahoo as a search engine and I would type in Russian wrestling training, wrestling specific workouts, stuff like that. And I came across Elite FTS. And so, of course, I came across Louis Simmons, Jim Wendler, <clears throat> Dave Tate. Um, Joe DeFranco. And uh, I just went down the rabbit hole reading and printing out articles. And even like uh, here, I have bookshelves against the wall and cabinets with old training books. And uh, what I did was I printed out the articles and I would just put them in a three ring binder. <clears throat> and man, I devoured it. And ironically, I tell, you know, my coaches that uh, work, you know, at the underground strength gym, our team of coaches, like, hey, one hour a day, you should study. And when I say that, I'm like, I'm such a wimp because when I got into it, you know, the early 2000s, I wasn't going for an hour a day. I, I couldn't stop reading the stuff. Like if I could have read more and watched more videos and bought more DVDs, I would have. I burned through everything. And so my uh, early days of strength and conditioning was in the private sector. But what's interesting is that the early 2000s, you know, a little over 20 years ago, you would see uh, high school strength coaches in the private sector. You'd see them at the, you know, the Catholic schools uh, working with football predominantly. And I was like, man, what? That would be such an amazing job if I could live in the gym and train athletes. <clears throat> because before that, I was training, you know, some adults. I'd go and do in-home personal training. Um, and then when I learned that I could take <clears throat> information and train athletes, I started training them out of my parents' garage. So those were early 2000s. And uh, it was a, I always say it was a blend of like Rocky three and Rocky four. <laughs> and um, a blend of old school bodybuilding stuff that I remember reading like Arnold Schwarzenegger doing in the 60s, Dave Draper, Reg Park, 
five by five or no rules training where Arnold would go to the woods and do 50 sets of squats. I would do no rules training with athletes and we would do 10 by 10 and we would sprint hills, but it was just a lot of hard work, get strong, build muscle and get in shape. And I didn't know like what was an optimal range for plyometrics or what was an optimal amount of sprint training, but we worked our butts off. And I think, you know, what I was able to get away with back then were, were uh, teenagers in general were more fit. You know, smartphones didn't come out yet. Uh, kids were working manual labor jobs. It was pretty common for kids to mow lawns and find a job working for a contractor on the weekend doing, you know, lugging wheelbarrows and carrying sandbags. So kids in general were more fit. And, uh, you know, so private sector started a little over 20 years ago. And I am finishing my fourth year at a high school, the end of October. So four years there, brand new position. And the way they started it was they saw Paul Colodi. They went and visited Paul Colodi, who's my buddy, who I basically run the NHSCA with. Paul was the um, state director before me. Paul was at our state conference for Athletic Directors Association, Atlantic City. Big conference. He had a booth. Him and I now do that. Him and I are like, you know, tag team on everything now. It makes it so much more fun. So uh, he had a booth, my athletic director, and um, now he's our assistant superintendent. He may have been a principal of the school at the time. So like probably six years ago, they saw Paul. Paul had a video playing that I think NHSCA had on YouTube, maybe. And they're like, what's this? We need this, you know? Our school district was known for being very dominant in sports. We're surrounded by some powerhouse private schools that started kind of taking over. And I think our administration got fired up and they were like, this could be our missing link. And our football coach, you know, probably had 25 years of coaching at the time, wanted to uh, be less after school stuff. So it kind of happened where they were like, all right, we could create this position, but the stipulation behind it was that I had to be phys ed certified, which luckily uh, I'm a phys ed certified teacher, health and phys ed. So they created the position and uh, our town has two high schools, a North and a South end. So um, a lot of times when these positions come up, you know, coaches who are not in them are like, Oh, it's just X amount of dollars. But what they're looking at is uh, money year after year. And then it has to be voted in. So in the public schools, things are extremely slow moving. You know, I often say they are the antithesis of what it takes to be successful in life. Meaning if I want to do something at my own gym, business-wise, I make, I take action in a few minutes. Whereas in the public schools, we need to write out this elaborate plan, you know, which you can't really plan anything nowadays, but you got to have this big plan. Uh, then it has to go to the board of ed then the board of ed has to approve it. Then the budget's got to get approved. Now it's going to, you know, the business manager of the school district. Then they got to finagle this, that. And it's like a year, two years to just make something happen. Whereas if you're in a private school, they're not like, um, hey, get me three comparative budgets and get me the cheapest budget. You know, think about that. Like in, uh, I know I'm rambling, but in uh, my school, if I want to order something, they want like two other uh, quotes, and we need to be the cheapest. Well, when you're buying strength and conditioning equipment, you don't want the cheapest that's going to break. 
And so, you know, I've kind of been in all these areas from private. I was one year at Lehigh for the wrestling program, which I would commute about two hours each way. I was a year and a half at Rutgers. And uh, the reason why I'm no longer at Rutgers was long story short was I, I declined a job offer uh, more than once. And uh, the pay was just so poor that I could never justify to my wife, to my kids. And this is important. I, when I said no, I knew that I was saying no to the strength and conditioning coaches across the country who are taking these low, low paying jobs with a master's degree with 15, 20 years experience. And you're getting paid less than what, you know, a 22 year old gets graduating college with a financial degree. And I said, if I say yes to this, then I am supporting every other guy who's ruining his family relationship, his marriage, uh, because he has to take a $30,000 job working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then going in on Saturdays, and he has a master's degree. So when I turned it down, I went back to work in the schools. And ironically, that year that I went back to work in the schools as a phys ed teacher, which I started teaching in 98. So this was the, I think I went back to teaching in 2018. I got two phone calls within the same month from coaches I knew saying their school district wants to uh, bring in a strength coach. And they're like, it's in the works. We're trying to come up with the money. The one school that was really like hyping me up, I connected them with uh, Sorenex. They wanted to set up their weight room, the same as my private facility. They uh, set up the whole weight room. And then when it came time to getting the person to do the job, they couldn't come up with the money for, I don't know how, you know, it was voted down. So they got the stuff, but they didn't get the person. Then my high school position was I got hired. We didn't have the stuff, (laughs) but they got the person. So my weight room, when I came in, was such a dump. It, I, the way I explain it is it looked like a tornado went through. There was bumper plates thrown behind the building. There was equipment thrown all over the floor. A squat rack would have like seven, two and a half pound plates on one side, a 45 on one side. You know, everything was discombobulated. And it was dirt everywhere. And I remember staring at it for like 20 minutes with this mop, just kind of like scanning, trying to visualize what it could become. And I was like, I don't know if I could do this, man. I never came into a place so like dumpy. And that's coming from a guy who started training people out of his parents' garage and backyard and playgrounds, you know, that I was getting chased out of by park rangers. I'm looking at this place. I'm like, this place is a dump. And um, I mop it. I vacuum. I mop it again. (laughs) I had to like mop it multiple times. And the place was just like so much broken stuff. I, I started organizing. I started moving. And when I got there, for two weeks, I had no like full, full team schedule. I had football and wrestling. Those were the believers at first. I also came at a weird time, October 30th, the end of fall sports or playoff time. My first two weeks, I'm in that weight room introducing myself to kids who are kind of openly lifting after school. Hey, guys, my name's Coach Evanesh. I'm the new strength coach here. Uh, let me know if you need any help with your workout. I'll help you out. Trying to build relationships. And, and every kid every kid said this no I'm, I'm good I'm on my own program so I'm like uh oh, that makes sense baseball player probably follows Eric Cressy 
hockey player probably follows this guy. Football guys probably saw Elliot Hulse with his, you know, hundreds of videos of football strength. I didn't see anybody train legs for two weeks. All I saw was like death-defying bench presses and like 30 minutes of curls and nobody putting weights away. Nobody. And I'd have to talk to this kid and that kid and this kid. And I couldn't get, you know, like teams on the schedule. And I'd be bouncing ideas off of the wrestling coach who was all in. He was a big reason I got in there. The football coach would bring his team in, but he was like kind of like a hands-off guy. He wasn't like a, a guy that would push people to do it. And uh, for the first two weeks, Andrew, you know what I was doing? I was looking on the job boards for other strength and conditioning jobs because I'm like, I, I can't do this. This place, like, they don't want to work. They don't want to learn. This coach don't want this. The baseball coach is like, <clears throat> wants to do his program. And I'm listening to a podcast by Ron McKeefrey. And he's interviewing a coach. And uh, I don't recall where the coach was, D1, D3, where he was, high school. But he said, make the big time where you're at. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, man, for these two weeks, I'm acting like I can't do this. I'm above this. I'm above that. I said, F this. F this. I'm like, I'm going into more guns blazing. I think by then, football was over. That was like the first losing season they had in something like 10 plus years, maybe longer. And we had no room. The place was filled with like flat benches, incline benches, machines. Well, I was like, I'm getting rid of everything that just has use for one thing. And I want to be able to do like dumbbell clean and press, squat jumps, push-ups. I had no room. I'd be standing on benches demonstrating squats because kids couldn't see me. Next day, a couple of the extra football players coming in. I was like, guys, help me grab these four incline benches. Three guys to a bench. Bang. Cleared it out. Took it into storage. Guys, grab that leg extension and leg curl machine. Four guys, lift it out of here. Storage. Now I had some space. And I set up every squat rack and bench with the same weight. So X number of 45s. And then everything got uh, two tens, two fives, or no, three fives, and two quarters. So if you were on a squat rack, there were three 45s. If it was a flat bench, two 45s. And, um, I organized it and every group I said, this is how it's going to look when you come in and when you leave. And so at the end, the last five minutes, I started teaching kids how to clean, how to organize, how to take pride in transforming this weight room. And maybe it's not going to be a collegiate looking weight room when you graduate, but we're going to make it better for the next group that comes through the next class. Baseball started buying in. Girls soccer starts buying in. Hockey starts buying in. Now I got a quality problem. Quality problem is I've got 60, 80, 90 kids in a group. And I'm like, holy crap, <clears throat> this is out of control. I talked to Paul Colodi and I'm like, dude, how do you train all these kids? He's like, well, you know, I've had 90 plus kids in the high school weight room with football. I'm like, who helped you? He said, nobody. <laughs> he goes, this is what you got to do. You got to turn every kid into a coach. He's like, so before the training session, say, raise your hand if you're a coach. Who's the coach? And they're all like, you are coach, Evan Esch. I'm like, no, all of you guys are coaches. As soon as you walk in this weight room, you're coach. If you see somebody squatting halfway down, you coach them up to go all the way down or go lighter. If somebody's going too light and it's easy, you tell them to add five pounds. If somebody's moving the bar slow, tell them to be more aggressive on the way up. 
And so Paul gave me like little tips and tricks that helped me command the room and control the room. Jim Wendler, I called him multiple times and Jim said to me, Zach, don't get carried away with fancy. He's like, run hills three days a week and uh, all your supplemental work, make it 10 reps. He's like, so if any kid ever asks you, is it eight? Is it 12? Nope, it's 10. He's like, forever, <laughs> forever. It's always 10 reps. And uh, then Jim was like, yeah, we're going to, we squat. And then we, we go into incline dumbbell bench with chest supported row with the same weight as a superset. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, like we're always thinking of the rules of training. You squat and then you jump or you squat, hurdle, jump and sprint. Jim's squatting and he's adding incline bench with chest support row and everything is 10 reps. And because I didn't have a lot of equipment or enough benches, I had to turn a lot of supplemental work into sets of five. And I had to make it very, very organized, which I learned from being an elementary phys ed teacher. Because if you're not organized with six-year-olds, you know, they will blow up the whole gym. <laughs> you have to like keep it crazy organized. So now in my day-to-day -day is I'm at a high school during the day. I go in around 10 a.m., 10, 15. During lunch and prep, I train in-season teams. And then after school, I'm training multiple teams together, three groups, 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And uh, what we're trying to do is not have me teach phys ed. I have one phys ed class. We want to turn it into a strength and conditioning elective where the kids are training during the day. And then maybe down the road, it's all during the day. You know, there's a lot of things that could possibly go wrong with that, but my goal every year is to better the program. And now our weight room is getting upgraded every year. It's, it's been a lot of like little upgrades. So I could look back and be like, whew, like now our weight room is really looking good. Before it was, it, I'm telling you, man, it looked like a, I can't, to say it was a dump is an understatement. Is there anything looking back, you know, in your current situation that you miss about that D1 sector? Yeah, being at the division one level, Everything you get, you get quickly and you get elite things. So when I was at Lehigh, they brought me in um, because I was friends with the coach who was running their regional training center. These are the guys preparing for Olympics, Olympic trials, world competition. And they had a 700 square foot weight room. And this is a, a wrestling program that's like 10th in the country, 12th in the country. They're, they're a, a dominant team. And uh, that was a dungeon. Three squat racks, low ceilings, you know, thick grip dumbbells. A year and a half later, they got a $25 million building that came about from eight donors, eight uh, alumni donated, you know, $3 million, $4 million. Boom. I'm in a beautiful weight room, state of the art. Bang. When I get to Rutgers, I'm in an old weight room, but then they upgraded one weight room. They immediately remove the old stuff and bring in semi-new stuff. I needed kettlebells. In two weeks, I've got 20 new kettlebells. I needed, uh, I, I'm wanting sandbags. They got a bunch of sand, you know, it's like, bang. Oh, I need thick bars. You want thick bars? Two weeks, boom, done. Whereas at the high school level, you got to learn to fundraise. You got to learn to be your own custodian slash janitor. You have to understand marketing. So you could market and sell to the kids. Um, this uh, end of school year, the softball coach ran a fundraiser for the weight room. 
the kids were done with finals. There was like two days left. She sends out an email to all the students and uh, organized a volleyball tournament, five bucks each kid to enter. It was like $800 raised from her sending out a few emails. She Google Sheets, Andrew, you're a team, get five teammates, fill it out on the Google Sheet. Each Every kid has five bucks on them. I'm like, oh my God, I'm killing myself trying to sell shirts, this, that, doing a trap bar deadlift fundraiser. She's like, that's too complicated. Not every kid wants to deadlift, but every kid wants to do um, volleyball. She's like, next year, our last few days of school, we'll do volleyball one day, kickball the next day. So I miss this at the college level. I also miss the intensity and the killer instinct of those guys. Uh, This past Friday, I was at Virginia Tech, drove down to Georgia for tennis, stopped at Virginia Tech, and um, Jared Freyer gave me a tour of their uh, sport building where football and Olympic sports train. And I was like, oh, I forgot. Like I look at the football weight room, Sornex racks further than your eyes could see. I go upstairs, I see wrestling warming up to go to the weight room. And I was like, oh man, I forgot what it's like to have such a depth of kids that push each other. Because if you're not working to your most elite self, there's three guys behind you that'll take your spot. At the high school level, you don't have that depth. Some of your kids going to D1 are slacking. And it's like, man, that that could be heartbreaking and kind of like an energy vampire. And so you have to learn, I think, at the high school level, how to control your energy and your emotions and not let everything get you so fired up. But what I love more about high school is the kind of how we've humanized it And it's not like the world is going to end if I'm not there. So next week, I go on a vacation with the family at the end of July all the time. Nobody's stressed out about it. Nobody's like, oh, my God, we're not going to lift like two days that week. Okay, that's what people do in the summer. They go on vacation. We'll see you when you get back. (laughs) The kids probably want a vacation from Coach Evanesh anyway. In college, it's like, where are you going? Why? What do you think? Why are you doing that? There's too much like, uh, like it's like constantly, you know, the intensity. So I love the intensity. You could probably see how amped up I always am. But I also like that at the high school level, we've humanized it. Kind of like what I do at the private sector. You know, I tell my coaches, we got to take care of each other. And if you're sick, we're going to shut down the gym that day. The world won't end if we have to close the gym on a Tuesday or a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Because people sometimes get sick. And if somebody can't understand that, I don't want to be around them. Uh, I work much less hours at high school. When I'm done coaching, I'm done. I go home. At the college level, you got to be there to look busy. Are you on the computer? Did you write the next 16-week you know, macro cycle that you can't plan out anyway? Like You got to pretend to be busy. Whereas if I was a director in the college sector, I'd be like, are you done coaching? Get out. Are you done doing your job today? Go see your friends. Go see your wife. Go see your girlfriend. Go see your boyfriend. Are these teams working their asses off? Let's all take a break the end of July. You go away. Tell these kids this is an optional time. Give them a week off. Take a break. And being a dad with teenage kids, this sports stuff's nuts, man. I was just in Georgia. My daughter was playing eight hours of tennis a day. Like 
they need breaks. So I miss that intensity at the, at the college level. I miss the easy access to everything, you know, donors, people that want to just give you money to upgrade. I miss that. But there's something very special at the high school level. And it's actually a harder job skill-wise because at the college level, you teach a kid something, boom, okay? They learn it quickly. At the high school level, you got a lot of kids that can't do a push-up, one push-up. Yet everybody on Twitter and Instagram is demonstrating the craziest, like, plyometric, you know, activity. If you're not doing that, you're not a great coach. Whereas uh, I exchanged uh, some messages today with an NFL strength coach. He showed me an article that him and another NFL strength coach had written. And guess what they were talking about? Deep squats, military press, pulling a bar off the floor. They're talking about doing that in the NFL. But like I always say, that doesn't make you look like an expert anymore. Nobody's into that. So at the high school level, what I love is that we're just pushing for brilliance with the basics. And certainly you have kids that think they're above that. And I would say that's a little bit heartbreaking that they feel they got to go elsewhere and separate from the team. And uh, as a private guy, what I've always done since probably the earliest days, my garage days, Dave Tate said this. He said, if you're training kids from a team, email their coach and say, Coach Andrew, my name is Zach Evanish. I'm training three of your football players, you know, John, Joey, and Eddie. Uh, if there's anything I could do that makes your life easier with them, whatever you feel you want me to work on with them, that's not easy for you to do at school. Just say the word, I'll make it happen. And if you want me to come in and run a warm up for you or do something, let me know. I'll help you out. Now, of course I did a lot of outreach. Nobody got back to me, <laughs> did all that outreach, but it's uh, now at the high school level, what's heartbreaking is you have other private coaches that are like, Hey, that's too crowded. Just come and train with us. Whereas I've always felt in the private sector, our job, even if you don't communicate with me, is if I'm training your athletes, I got to send them back better for you. And if you did like squats and cleans, then I'm going to say, okay, we're going to do split squats, uh, sleds, one arm carries. And uh, if you cleaned heavy, let's just go like 50% and do speed work for doubles and do technique work. So I'm going to fill in the gaps of what wasn't able to get done when you have 40 to 80 kids on average in a weight room. So that's how I look at like, how do I marry private sector with high school? And uh, will I ever go back to the college sector? I don't think I would go back until my kids are out of high school. And I'm not, uh, I don't, feel good missing my son's baseball, missing my daughter's tennis, you know, 9.9 .9 out of 10 times, I don't miss their games. But if I, when I was in college, I did miss stuff. I couldn't go to Florida in the winter when they go during winter break. Why? Cause I'm prepping wrestlers for Southern scuffle. I'm prepping wrestlers for the big 10, you know? And uh, that was like a dagger in my heart. And I said to myself, like, how much money can somebody pay me to miss my family? And the answer was not enough money. You probably can't pay me enough to miss out on the family. You know, all right. Some of these college guys are getting paid a million, 750 grand. There's not a lot of guys getting that kind of money. Not a lot of girls getting that kind of money. 
And uh, you can't put a dollar sign on missing your kids. I at least can't. You know, I don't want to judge other people. That's up to them. Uh, but for me, that's just how I'm built. It like breaks my heart to do that. And so I chose not to do it. Appreciate all that insight, Coach, on all the different avenues that you've worked in. There's a lot of a lot of wisdom there. You got to look at the perspective and kind of like, you know, you mentioned before we started recording, the grass is always greener until you get to that pasture. And then it's maybe yeah. it's not, you know, so. <clears throat> we all struggle. Like, you know, I struggle as a high school strength coach with kids that, go to a private coach when that private coach knows they're skipping our team workouts. And I would love the support of that private coach and say, Hey guys, you know, I said it to a kid, Hey, why are you here at four o'clock? You're so, don't you have after school lifts? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Actually, it does matter. I don't want to be known as the guy that's pulling you from your team, train with your team, go home and eat or come here. We'll do a little bit of a shorter lift, a speed lift, and then we're good but don't skip and come here. And now we're known as the guys pulling you away. You know, other things that are frustrating is like I said earlier, the length of time it takes to like get a barbell is too long. You know, I've had equipment, faulty old equipment break and it took six months to replace it. Whereas, you know, as a dad, not even as a coach, I would have been like, you guys have, my son said there's dumbbells breaking in the weight room. I'm going to get 10 parents together. We'll pull $300 each and we'll get you a new set of dumbbells for three grand or four grand or whatever it is. That's it. But it just takes forever. And to me, that's like the struggle in a public school is uh, we need speed of action versus 50 people voting on stuff. You know, kind of sometimes they're taking action. It's already too late. I don't want to say too late, but it's like, hey, that problem had to get solved last year. So, um, yeah, man, like there's I think there's always struggles. We all will struggle. And strengthening initiating in New Jersey. Wh where are you, Andrew? What state? Illinois. OK, looks different in Illinois. Looks different in Indiana. You know, I see some of the weight rooms in Indiana and it's like I see Sornex or dynamic posting. And I'm like, that's a high school? That looks better than a college I've ever been to. So everybody's got it different. But I always said, like, you give me a stone and that's it. I'll get guys better. And these four years I've been a high school strength coach, I was in for four months, <clears throat> then COVID. Then I get back, I'm not allowed in the weight room. We're taking dumbbells outside on the grass. Then it's raining. Now where do I go? Okay, we're in the bubble. Everybody's spread out. All right, now, okay, we're getting new flooring. You're not going to be allowed in the gym for how long? Uh, two weeks. Okay, it's delayed. It's delayed. I moved all this equipment out. The last summer, I was training athletes on grass with all of our bumper plates, barbells, trap bars, kettlebells, dumbbells. It looked like a prison yard. So no bench press. We're going to floor press. Two guys deadlift it. Boom. How do you front squat? You have to clean the weight off the ground. How do, how, what are we doing for like our speed work? We're going to play tag games. We're going to sprint hills. Um, we're going to farmer walk the trap bars. We're going to farmer walk kettlebells. We're going to farmer walk a partner on our back. We, we were just doing all different kinds of outdoor training that brought me back to my garage days. And um, that would never happen. You know, in a college setting, they're like, we're going to give a new floor and give me 72 hours. Take Friday through Sunday off your end at the high school. It's delayed and delayed and complaining about it won't do anything. 
you know, and then it'll demonstrate to the kids that you're a quitter. So you have to consistently find ways to be a leader, to be a worker, to be somebody who finds solutions to problems because they look at you. They look at how you act. They look at how you're built. They model you. And so uh, they're influenced by your behaviors. So it's actually very inspiring to be at the high school level because if like today, I'm like, man, it's so hot. I'm so tired. I traveled so much. I don't want to train. Well, I had a bunch of athletes train this morning. How am I going to tell them to train hard if I've got excuses? You know, or they're, I'm sure they're tired also doing college visits, this and that. So they inspire me to like work. And so there's something pure about the high school level that uh, is just, I, I think it's amazing. And obviously, like from the NHSCA standpoint, uh, Harry Schofield said something like, five, he said a few years ago that the uh, amount of full-time strength coaches in the high school increased something like seven or 800% since the NHSCA was founded. So now we're seeing a lot of high schools post these positions, not just as like an afterthought after school. It is uh, being replaced as part of their phys ed. And now if these kids don't compete in uh, collegiate sports, you know, 90%, 93% will not. That's okay. Because 90% of those kids will walk into a gym of some sort within the next year or two or less to exercise. And now they're going to know how. You know, I always tell the kids, the hill sprints never end. I'm 47, still sprinting the hills. The squats never end. So you might be training for football or wrestling or softball now, but later on you train for life. So um, being at this high school has been, you know, I think I got a little lucky timing, location. And, uh, you know, I never used to say that you got to get lucky, but sometimes you got to get lucky. You know, I think I had very good references. I had good, um, a good resume coaching at the collegiate level, I think boosted my uh, resume. I did a podcast on this with Paul in our early days during COVID was um, administration doesn't really know what they're looking for. You know, they asked me a lot of questions that showed that they were very unknowledgeable about sports performance. It might be different in Illinois. Uh, it's probably different in like the Carolinas, Georgia, Texas you might get interviewed by the football coach. But um, I think if you're all about the kids, then you're a good fit for high school. And um, there's been a lot of talk, you know, on the uh, Facebook group saying, like, no matter where you live, get your alternate teaching degree, teaching cert. Be I'm not sure what the advantage of it is in the other states, but I think it might be like an insurance thing. That's how you get hired in some of these other states. So it's interesting to see it grow. and. Uh, New Jersey has a lot of, we have a lot of work to do uh, with regards to the schools adopting a full-time position or simply taking a phys ed teacher who is knowledgeable and making him or her the strength coach during the day and they get phys ed credit for that. The uh, tricky thing is phys ed teachers are not trained in strength and conditioning. You know, that's strength and conditioning is almost like a, um, like a trade, you know, like somebody goes to school for electrician, 
uh, to be an electrician or a carpenter. That's probably what these college undergrad students need to do to get more hands-on experience. So New Jersey, uh, that's where we need to go and grow to really help these kids. And they say like, the, the big thing, Andrew, too, is like, it's not just about athletics. It's like, I've, I've been hearing all these years at the high school, you don't really hear this at the college level, unless they come up to you maybe a little bit on the side, but at the high school, you'll hear kids say, this is the best part of my day. Man, I wasn't having a good day, but I came in here and got a pump. I feel better, man. I feel great today. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with these high school kids emotionally. And uh, I'm not blaming COVID or making excuses, but they sit for six, seven hours a day. If we can integrate legitimate strength and conditioning, you will change a kid's life, you know, big big time. And so uh, we need really administrators to hear these things. So being at the high school level is, uh, it's really been the best job, quote unquote, for, for me with all the balance, like I said, and the impact on so many kids. Uh, and people are training a lot more people than me. There's high school coaches out there training 600 kids a day, 500 kids a day. You know, during the summer, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my first two groups are like 60 to 80 kids. Then my third group is like 40 kids. So I'm like somewhere around 150 to 200 athletes a day. But uh, I'm sorry, man, I, I could answer a question that takes me like 30 minutes to answer it. So um, fire away with questions, man. I, I get a little carried away. No, it's all it's all great stuff. And, <laughs> and I appreciate you sharing. Uh you, one of the last things you touched on is actually a perfect segue to what I was going to talk to you uh, next about. And you talked about how there's PE teachers maybe and using that avenue to fill more roles for high school strength and conditioning coaches. The NHSSCA just dropped their certification. It came out at NACON. I just completed it two nights ago. Um, and part of that was, you know, their attempt to educate coaches that aren't, that don't have that traditional CSCS background to make something available um, for people like that. You have, uh, two certifications of your own that you offer, you know, um, but you talked about how when you were starting out that there wasn't these certifications, there wasn't these educational opportunities, you know, Google wasn't around. If you could just kind of talk briefly about how coaching education has evolved and like what you've seen that grow into, you know, because today there's so many options, yes. obviously 20, 30 years there weren't. So just briefly, if you could touch on what that's kind of, how you've seen that area. Yeah. Now. So um, in all transparency, I don't have my NHSCA cert yet. I will get it. I honestly believe that that's probably going to become the CSCS for high schools. I think that administrators across the country are going to start learning the same way as colleges and the military realizes you need your CSCS or CSCCA. That being said, I have my CSCS because of my college experience and I almost took a job uh, working in the military. I like what the CSCS stands for, um, but I did not, you know, hopefully I don't get sued here. <laughs> I did not become a better coach by taking the CSCS at all. I had to restudy all the biology stuff that I took. I graduated my undergrad in December of 97. <laughs> so I had to restudy the actin and myosin and stuff that to me does not make me a better coach. I created my first certification because coaches were calling my gym. They wanted to visit the gym. 
how do I do what you're doing? How do I do that? So I said, well, I'll create a certification. This is how I take people through a trial. This is the introductory. How do I segue to intermediate and advanced? And then my other cert was, you know, how have things evolved? So coach education, here's what's going on. I have a kid that's finishing an internship. He is uh, an undergrad student exercise science. He got one of the popular certifications. And uh, part of his weekly uh, work as an intern is <clears throat> we use paper instead of computer because I feel like it makes you think is to write out, I give him samples, give me a two-week mini cycle training a high school baseball player who's been with us for 30 days. Uh, give me a two-week mini cycle for a middle school athlete who went through a trial and struggles to do push-ups and uh, can't do a full body weight squat. Give me a two-week mini cycle. Well, in the beginning, this kid did a lot of um, quote-unquote wrong program design that was learned from one of the most popular online certifications, a, a massive company, which could, would probably be good for like adults, you know, general fitness. But for athletes, you need a different understanding. You need to understand progressions, regressions, optimal sets and reps. If you do too many reps, technique falters. You know, my phys ed colleagues were actually not very happy with me that I removed machines from the weight room. And I said, I had to make a decision that my job is the strength and conditioning coach. And I've got 80 kids in here, 90 kids. And that machine serves one kid. It, it doesn't serve multiple things. And so I had to make a decision. Do I need more room or do I want to serve a phys ed student that wants to just sit on there? And why some of the phys ed teachers were upset was because machines don't require a whole lot of teaching. They really don't. That being said, some kids should just go to Planet Fitness for three months and do every machine for like three to five sets of 10 to 20 reps to build muscle. They have zero muscle. That would be helpful for them. But I had to make a decision. What that also said to me was they don't want to teach things like we're going to start with the body weight squat. I'm going to transition you into a goblet squat. What does it take for me to put a bar on your back? Or do I start you with the front squat? Or do I start you with the zombie squat? What are, you know, uh, in teaching, they call it a rubric. You know, what is like the grading thing? So I look at it from this kind of teaching standpoint where you need to understand how to properly build an athlete physically and psychologically. That is a huge part. And uh, I think that's where the NHSCA wins is they understand that this is not just training uh, somebody to run faster and jump higher. The NHSCA understands the cognitive and the psychological and the emotional aspects of strength and conditioning. Um, and then the other real powerful thing is like as a uh, organization, it's the most supportive organization you're going to be part of. So, hey, I'm in the Facebook group. I'm trying to raise money. How do I do it? 30 comments by the end of the day or sign into NHSCA.us and look at, you know, the professional development area on that. So early days, you couldn't get an online certification. You had to travel, which I think is very powerful because I know for me, as much as I hated segueing into the online certification space, man, 
I, I just have too much stuff going on as a busy dad. I'm better off immersing myself into somebody else's gym for two days to learn something. That being said, travel has gotten extremely expensive. Getting time away has gotten very difficult. In my early years teaching, they used to pay me to go to professional development. Now you have to apply to do professional development. And it's like getting, you know, it's like asking for their firstborn child to go away. But here's what the last thing I want to say on education, Andrew. When you invest in a course, you have skin in the game. What's happened the past 12 years or so is with all the free social media outlets, we can learn a lot very easily and for free. And so coaches have gotten very standoffish of skin in the game. They will not invest in a several hundred dollar certification or a $1,000 certification, but they will buy, you know, a barbell for $500 that doesn't make them better or that doesn't pay them back for a lifetime. Meaning if I get the NHSCA cert, it will pay me back for the lifetime that I am a career strength coach. And so strength coaches are so used to looking on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube and getting stuff for free that they value education less than ever before. I came up in an era, not saying I'm better or I'm that old guy, that guy. But if I wanted to learn from Mike Boyle, I had to pay to get into a private forum to ask him a question. I couldn't send him an Instagram message. There was no Twitter. He wouldn't email you back unless there was an exchange of money. And I learned to value everything that he would say. Or one of the early guys, Juan Carlos Santana. I was speaking about him to a, a buddy of mine, JC Santana, IHP Fit down in Boca Raton, Florida. He would work. He was like a perform better guy. He had uh, training manuals for dumbbells, for body weight. I got these two VHS tapes on bodyweight training. I took that information and applied it to every outdoor and still apply to every outdoor training and warm up and workout I've done in the past 20 plus years. So I bought those two VHS tapes for $50 each. You know, that's a hundred dollars. You know, I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, running my gym. Why? I learned how to train. If a football coach said, Zach, come to the football field, I knew how to train them because I invested in my knowledge. Skin in the game changes everything. And uh, as a coach, you need to get skin in the game. It makes you better. And I always say, if I expect the athletes to put in their best effort, well, if I expect it of them, I have to expect it of myself first. And if I expect them to invest in, a foam roller. Um, hey, go on YouTube and I want you to find some follow along hip mobility routines. Then I need to get better. I need to get skin in the game to become a better communicator, a better leader. You know, my desk, a little messy, but like there's books everywhere. You know, they're, the books aren't free. It's all, all skin in the game. I, I just think that as a coach, that's our job is we got to come back better all the time. Better doesn't mean learning more exercises. Better means like learning all these nuances, you know? Okay, somebody's squatting. Where do the hands go? What about the feet? What, what do I tell the athlete how to approach the bar emotionally? 
you know, a girl who's afraid to touch the barbell first time. How do I communicate with her versus how do I communicate with one of the boys? All those little nuances you learn by investing in your education. And really, like I said, I think eventually uh, the strength coach will not be able to get hired unless he has the NHSCA cert, he or she has it. Just like the athletic trainer doesn't get hired unless he or she has their ATC certificate. And so uh, the other things, like I said, man, I hate to admit it. I had to get that CSCS. I studied my ass off for all the, uh, the practical was so easy for me, but it was that like all that biology stuff that I hadn't taken through for like, it was like 20 years. So I had to study and go to study groups and all this. And I got to tell you, I did not get better from it, which is sad. It's sad to say the people were great. (laughs) That thing did not make me better. So that's a little bit of the heartbreaking reality of uh, that certification. You talked about how you got to have skin in the game. You got to invest yourself kind of sometimes coaches are looking for that instant gratification is not the right word, but I can get on YouTube and just search stuff and then it's free. And then I, I just regurgitate it back. And we, you're talking about as coaches, how you need to, to put in the hard work and educate yourself and go about it, make that phone call, take that trip, buy the book, things like that. You, coaches demand hard work from our athletes, but we as coaches have to put in hard work ourselves to be the best coach we can be because our athletes deserve that. Touching on hard work, though, when I think of you, Coach, one, I think about wrestling. I've heard you talk about wrestling before. But one thing that I admire about you is that you are just an advocate for legitimate hard work. Uh, You know, that old school GPP stuff. Today, we ended our session on single arm farmer carries. And the kids are like, you know, groaning about it. And, I, you know, but I was (laughs) like, just, you know, but I told him, I was like, you're going to think about it. You know, this is how many groceries you're going to be able to carry after this you know? <laughs> right <laughs> like every that. grocery trip <laughs> that's right one of the things that i try to instill is yes we want to do optimal things but we also have to do hard work because sport is hard it's kind of like you said before it's kind of like a dirty word hard work a taboo topic and things like that but it just is. touch touch if you could just kind of touch on your philosophy of approaching hard work of capacity general prep whatever you want to call it work yeah. economy, whatever So it's interesting how I said, like earlier, I was like, you know, hard work is demonized, especially some of my friends. I learned from them and they're posting all the stuff they're testing. Their school has, you know, five to 10 jump mats. There's every kid's wearing a polar monitor, GPS, this, that. I have none of that. I have a whiteboard, but I got to tell you, you can see effort and effort is important. And I'm going to say what I tell the parents at the uh, beginning of football season, and it really should be at the beginning of summer. I wish that's when they held this meeting. But I tell the parents, my number one job is to protect your son. This is for the football. If I was talking to others, I'd say your son, your daughter, you know, girls soccer is a very big uh, proponent of the program. How do I protect your son? Well, I get your son stronger and I build muscle, which is known as body armor. I build their confidence because a confident athlete, you build confidence from preparation and they're playing in a sport where kids have had legs broken, arms broken, concussions. I mean, there's been debilitating injuries and I'm not going to get strong doing easy stuff. I'm not going to get strong darting around cones. Do we use cones? Yes. Do we jump over hurdles? Yes. But when we're playing football, 
the opposition is trying to hurt your son and they're trying to smash into him. And he's probably not going to be able to tiptoe around people. He's going to have to run through people. And I tell them the way I do that is I get them stronger, faster, tougher. And so hard work is required to build muscle. If it was so easy to get jacked, I tell all the kids, we'd have hundreds of boys that were two, that are 220 pounds of solid muscle walking around, but we don't because it takes a lot of work in and out of the weight room. And so exercises that cause you to work are those ground-based exercises, lots of carries, pulling weight from the floor, jumping, moving your body, pull-ups, push-ups, carrying people, throwing heavy objects, carrying heavy objects. And so basically I looked at it like we have to integrate farm boy work. We have to integrate manual labor because it's not involved in their uh, training. It's not involved in their lifestyle, not their training. And the other thing that's important is a lot of people talk about the specificity, like, oh, a football play is four and a half to seven seconds. That's right. But um, a football season begins in mid-June and they practice starting in mid-June. They're hitting the weight room. They're doing install. They're doing these like little practices. It goes till Thanksgiving. That's almost six months. And if they are not physically durable, they will not survive practice. And if I don't have muscle built on this kid and he's a wide receiver or fullback and he's getting hit, well, now he's not durable because he hasn't done those carries and those full body exercises that build body armor and help him withstand the impact that comes from football, wrestling, lacrosse, girl soccer. I tell those girls, I go, this is a violent sport. You're like hitting each other. You're slide tackling, grabbing jerseys. Girls are, are heading soccer balls that are being kicked from further than half the soccer field. Every time I watch a girl's soccer game, I say to myself, we got to get stronger. We do. We need to build. I don't say to myself, we need more agility. We need to get stronger. And at the high school level, you need that GPP. And a lot of it was instilled to me speaking with Louis Simmons in those early 2000s. I called him every week and we talk about wrestlers and football players. I bought my first sled from him. The sled arrived at my house with a book of stamps <laughs> taped to the sled. No box, nothing, you know, 30 stamps on that sucker. And he was telling me about wrestlers slamming medicine balls for five minutes nonstop. Uh, football players dragging a sled for five minutes nonstop. Powerlifters doing farmer walks with lighter kettlebells for a quarter mile. Okay, we're going to farmer walk the kettlebells up the street and down the street. We're going to drag the sled for five minutes. We're going to slam med balls. For five minutes, you know, I kind of took it to the extreme. And then I started learning how to ex kind of like explore and do a little bit of a touch of my own ideas as you're experimenting. But I found that by doing um, sleds, carries, and calisthenics, those three must-haves are in every program with us, is they build the athlete's overall fitness, work capacity, durability. And uh, I even speak about this with my friends in the NFL. Like, you know, some of our guys don't even want to squat because they say they're afraid they're going to put on muscle, gain six to eight pounds. They said they feel faster weighing, you know, 180 pounds instead of 190 pounds. He goes, but my concern is at 180 pounds, when you're getting tackled, you may not last the season or you may get injured. 
And that could make the difference between another five, 10, 20, $30 million for them. He's like, so I'd rather have muscle on these guys. And I look back at like the early educational resources, like Milo magazine from Iron Mind, um, the old books that I love to talk about like this, you know, the development of muscular bulk and power, Bob Hoffman books, dinosaur training, all of those books really helped me maximize training with minimal equipment. And so when I grew up as a strength coach, if somebody had bumper plates, we thought they were a God. Where do you get bumper plates from? I didn't even, I don't even know who was selling them. I don't even know if Sornex was selling them. They probably could have, but you know, you just couldn't find it. Even weightlifting, you know, we called it Olympic lifting. Who's teaching you Olympic lifting? Oh my, you know, it was like a weightlifting club up here or there. So we just didn't have access to things. So I learned to, uh, you know, these quotes that I picked up, brilliance with the basics, simple things done savagely well. Now, you know, we have 50 different carry variations, endless sled variations, all kinds of calisthenics. But if you do sleds and carries, and then you add calisthenics and maybe some a few barbell lifts and jumping and sprinting, you will build powerful fit athletes. And that's what's lacking, especially these past few years with the phone and with the club sports kind of take the club sports are keeping kids so busy. They have no time for the actual strength training. And so now you get kids that just are on and off with strength training and they're showing up with skills, but they're weak. You know, you have a varsity athlete who can't do a full range pull-up or their mobility is so messed up. They can't do a good body weight squat. So, you know, carrying, what does the carry begin with a deadlift? Or if I'm picking up a sandbag or a heavy med ball to my shoulder, it's kind of like doing a power clean, just, you know, like a much simpler version than not using a barbell. How do I bring the weight down? I squat it down. So every first rep to start and finish the set is a squat deadlift or clean um, with the sled work. It's so uncomplicated. You just could, I mean, somebody could mess it up. You know, you could be in a bad position, but for the most part, it's easy to teach, easy to learn. And that's what we need. We, I think if you do complicated stuff, you're so busy teaching, nobody's actually working. Well, in a football game that's close, when they're winning the game in overtime or at the last 15, 30 seconds, the team has to be fit. They need speed, endurance, power, endurance. They need grit. All these people say you can't build, you can't build mental toughness. I can slowly integrate challenging activities into training and build the athlete's confidence and grit. And then he or she can carry that over into sport because they are better prepared and they have more confidence. Everyone's like, oh, it's context specific. Yeah, you have to build them up. You can do it. Strength training, strength and conditioning can build an athlete's toughness because they've gone through tough times. And then you identify it. You're like, hey, you crushed it. Remember last week when you were dying on that sled? You just did three sets and you're, you're crushing it. You're a beast. You got to build them up, not just physically, but mentally. You got to help them identify what they did. When you have athletes and you want to teach them a trap bar deadlift, well, after two months of my freshmen doing carries and dumbbell training, I say, I say boys, we're going to pick up the trap bar the same way we pick up kettlebells feet right under the hips, 
squat down, shoulders back, lift it up. And now we're going to do it for three reps or five reps. So now it also has a, it's like a lead in that makes teaching the next more complex exercise easier. So, well, you need GPP and how do I get it? A lot of supersets, you know, A, B, A, B, C. At the high school, I do an A, B, C because of the flow. When you train large groups, you have to, it has to flow. At my private sector, things could be a little more complex. We have more specialized equipment. We have eight to 12 kids in a group, not 80 kids in the group. So things could be a little more dialed in. But at that high school level, especially the incoming freshmen, I do dumbbell training and kettlebells for like two months. Our boys will start to trap bar deadlift and front squat in August, which means like seven weeks of dumbbells and kettlebells and sleds and hill sprints. Basics, brilliance with the basics. Hill sprints, my bad. I, I hammer home the hill sprints. We have a, a, a hill not too long, not too deep outside. And when you watch them sprint, you as a coach might be like, ah, you know, we could do five of these. It's easy. You watch kids do their second hill sprint. They're about, they're about dying. You got to remember this. Kids have died when uneducated coaches have done quote unquote conditioning. You let hit, hit that hill sprint, walk down, take a break. All good. You could rest all you want. We're in the first week. Next week, we'll cut the rest maybe 10 seconds, little by little, slow and steady. Because who they are today is not who they will be built into two months from now and certainly not two years from now. You know, I've trained many kids who are 100 pounds and then they become 200 pounds. They gain 25 pounds, 20 pounds every year. 20 pounds in two months is like a pound and a quarter every month. That's nothing. That's nothing. It means you can't even see them gaining the weight. But a year or two years, you're like, oh, you, you put on that muscle. And so I think as uh, coaches, we have to relay that message to parents of like, hey, this is going to take time. And, this is, and uh, by the way, with GPP, a mom texted me earlier. We started training her son yesterday. And we're like, listen, you're struggling on push-ups, squats, and lunges. That's what you're going to do at home. Wake up, hit five reps of everything. Afternoon, do five more. At night, five more. That's 15 a day. That's 75 a week. You know, 75 times four, 150, 300. That's 300 reps a month doing 15 reps. She's like, he's so excited. He wrote some workout on the fridge and told us he has to start eating better. So that's who we are as coaches. We are the, you know, we create change and um, can't go wrong with some good old Herschel Walker calisthenics, baby. Want to pivot a little bit a week ago? You released a book, Iron Journeys, Five Powerful Lessons to Unleash Your True Potential in Life. Mine's arriving tomorrow, but I'm really excited. To, you know, talk about that. Talk about what led you to to write yes. that book and you know what the feedback has been awesome. And uh, I actually wrote it by accident. So uh, I'm gonna explain that. I'm gonna try to do the short answer because I man, people might be like uh killing me that I talk too much. So I send out an, an almost daily email through my newsletter on my website at zachevanesh.com. So one day I was, you know, I send out training tips and experiences and stories. And uh, one day I wrote a story that uh, was kind of like an experience I had at the YMCA. And then I kind of fudged it at the end into like a little bit of like a fictional story about how I wish it ended. So I, it ended on a positive because when you're a teenager, you know, I wasn't the most coachable. I didn't absorb the lessons that the guys were trying to mentor me with. 
So I wrote this email and then I wanted to turn it into a blog post. So I expanded it and I sent it to some people and they're like, oh my God, this is awesome. And so during COVID, my school had half days and it was like, you had to stay there because you're under contract. Kids would come in for a half day, then they're on Zoom for a half day. So I'd be writing and I wrote one chapter, then another. And I'm like, man, they can turn this into a book. But between running my gym, taking my kids to all their sports, I found it hard to just sit down and bang out chapters like I used to. You know, before I had kids, before I was married, if I wanted to write, I could write 20 pages in a day, 10 pages. In. I was writing like a page, two pages. Finally, I wrote it. It came out very big. You know, I'm going to show you the preview copy it was like very big versus this, the finished. And so my buddy, uh, who's the editor, said, uh, listen, a lot of these stories, you know, they have kind of that same, they overlap. There's a lot of talk on hard work, consistency, showing up, all this. He's like, you should just cut it in half, cut it in half. And so I finally finished it and uh, I wanted to self-publish on Amazon because I had a publisher before and it did not go well. You know, I think the book was maybe getting printed in China and once COVID happened, paper prices went through the roof, yada, yada. And uh, I know kids today don't really read. That's the heartbreaking thing. But this book is built for like a teenager. And then guys, I don't know how old you are, Andrew. You look young. As the jerky boy said, you sound like a young kid. You know, I'm 47, but there's been men in their 60s reading the book fired up. So I wanted to take kind of lessons and experiences that happened through the late 80s, 90s, 2000s and blend it as like training and life, training and life. So when you're reading it, you pick up training tips, you pick up kind of life tips and you're inspired to do something about it. I'll tell you, my fear is also that all these YouTube videos and podcasts, like, I don't know who could find them down the road. I don't know if my children will be able to find them or my great, great, great grandchildren who heard of me, but I've got books from the late 1800s. I've got books from a hundred years ago. My hope is that the books never die. And so I want, I had to get this out there. There's a lot of coaches out there that have a lot of amazing information that I feel they need to put it out there because there's so much BS out there today. You know, like I spoke about it earlier, you know what this book talks about squatting and doing volume work and eating steak and eggs and drinking whole milk. You know, it's like a blend of super squats and keys to progress and all those kind of old iron mind books. And I wanted the book to inspire people to train and to be strong. And uh, I also had to get it out because like I said earlier, strength is like, there's so much talk about like, yeah, these kids are getting too strong. They're too strong. They're, they're deadlifting too much and they're not fast. Listen, when I say get strong, I never talk about get strong and be slow. We, we lift heavy, we jump, we sprint, we throw, I put it all together. But this book, my hope is that it's going to change a kid's life by inspiring him to get strong. Because being strong is what changes your life. Meaning, Andrew, if you and I train kids and in your gym, there's no weights. Everything is like, quote unquote, speed and agility. Yeah, they're going to get fast, this, that. But if my gym has weights and we're squatting five by five and we do 50 push-ups and 50 curls at the end, like, you know, Jim Wendler does with 531 or, you know, we 
challenge ourselves and do, you know, uh, farmer walks and, hey, go out and push. Like these kids are going to see their bodies transform. That's what builds the confidence in a kid. Listen, how do I know I did it? (laughs) How do I know my son just turned 15? You know, if I could count how many times he flexes in front of every mirror in one day, it's got to be a hundred times. He's constantly flexing. He goes with his buddy who's a, a wrestler. My son's more baseball player. But they go and they build muscle, and I see what it's done for his confidence. I, I could see it. And so I want that for kids because when I was a teenager, I struggled with those things. And, uh, you know, I hope that I could get into the, into the hands of the right people. Stephen Pressfield told me, because I almost was coming up with another title. Somebody was trying to tell me, that's not a good title, Zach. It needs to be a different title to sell to more people, to sell to women. And I speak with Stephen Pressfield and he goes, Zach, I never wrote The War of Art or Turning Pro with the hope that it was going to be a bestseller. I wrote it because I had to get it from my heart onto paper. I had to. You know, the universe was like, you know, Steve, you got to get it done. These stories were too much in my mind and brain. Now there's people buying the book in Australia and Europe and, uh, it's just impacting people. And it's like, yes, I want it to bring back the days of work where gyms were places of work. And I know times are different and gyms are just, you know, they're just different, but I'm lucky. I grew up in gyms where, you know, people were training on old York barbell equipment and uh, you know, just the intensity of things. I have some great, <laughs> I was just thinking now if like I had a buddy that worked at the local gym And on Saturday, or no, Friday, I was like, hey, um, and I don't know where I even heard of it. I can't remember. But I said, you know, after you close the gym at 10 o'clock, we should have a midnight squat party. Should invite all of our friends. We should like squat until we can't walk anymore. We should blast the music. And uh, I may have been, you know, 18 or 19. And uh, that's what we did. It was like a squat party. (laughs) Whereas like other people, their party is you know, drinking, smoking, this and that, not me. I, I, I can't remember who I had. Maybe Tom Platt spoke about it, but it was a midnight squat party. It was more like a 1030 squat party, blasting Pantera and who knows what else. And I remember squatting and uh, this guy, Andy, was like squatting so hard. He was like wobbling, walking it in. You know, I would never do that in the high school setting, but what those workouts did, you know, the work that puts you over the edge, they change you. And uh, that's what I wanted this book is to inspire people to work hard and to feel uh, like there's any, you could get strong on anything. It doesn't have to be in the gym. You could get a dumbbell or anything to get strong. So my hope with the book is not just to inspire this generation, but generations to come. Um, when I'm no longer on this earth, I want you know my grandkids, grandkids to be like, you know who great, great grandpa Zach was? He wrote the, these books and they could read and kind of imagine who I was. So uh, it has some deeper meaning. And I think um, coaches out there with how passionate you are, you should write a book. Write a book about how you started training. Share some stories about kids you've trained that transformed. And uh, it doesn't have, it could be 50 pages, but put a book out there because uh, when you, when you put it out there, now it's, it'll live forever. 
I don't know. Maybe somebody's going to use this in their fireplace, maybe, <laughs> but not everybody. There will always be iron journeys floating around, just like Arnold's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding will be around forever. So uh, writing a book, you know, well, you could even do it with your students. That could be a project. Like each kid writes about his transformation of strength training through your program. And then you write the intro and it's self-published on Amazon and the money goes back to the school. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do this. Well, that's a fundraising idea that I'm going to jot down. I've yeah. never thought of before. I'm really looking forward to reading it. I'm, I'm really excited. Thank like you. I said, mine's arriving tomorrow. You can find it on Amazon. I will post a link on the show notes. Coach, kind of wrapping up here, anything else you want to plug? Social media channels, YouTube, whatever you want to plug. And then just that there's any imparting wisdom that you hadn't had a chance to touch on that you want to leave everybody with. Nope. They could Google my name and find me. Like you said, we got the Strong Life Podcast. If you're a high school coach of any sort, in the weight room, uh, get involved with the NHSCA, reach out to your state director, get to the state clinic. We did our state clinic on a Friday, which doubled our attendance because the uh, coaches took a professional day. So that's a little tip for the uh, state directors out there. We had done it the year before on a Saturday, had like 38 or 35 people, whereas this year we had like 82 or something like that. You know, anybody who wants to visit the high school or the private facility, feel free to visit and uh, see what we do. Love to open the doors. The high school is a cool place to visit because of uh, how many kids are training. And also for if you're a student listening, try to do your quote unquote student teaching with the strength coach because it will be invaluable experience. Uh, I had a guy intern with me last winter, not this winter, the previous. And I said, now you could go work anywhere. You could go command a college weight room, a high school weight room, a private facility, the military, because you've worked with like such a myriad of different kids and sports. Your experience is massive and you're like, uh, everything's always like imperfect. So you're ready for that as a coach, like anything that can go wrong will go wrong, you know, with that high school setting. So uh, thanks for having me on. NHSCA has been awesome. And uh, I hope I, I, I'm sure I burned people's ears off the way I, I could answer one question in a, like, take me two hours, but uh, I get fired up talking about it, So I don't really know how to tone it down. Sorry. <laughs> Coach, for the sake of everybody that listens, don't ever do it. I appreciate your time. <laughs> I appreciate all the great tidbits, all the wisdom that you shared. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.